so David has um, finally gotten everything under control and he is feeling pretty good about himself at the end of his reign so he decides to have a census of his people now usually when you do a census you do that for what you know for taxation and things like that um, it, it seems that part of David's motivation was to feel see how big his kingdom was um, you know, we talk about the nation of Israel, the people, but it was only a united kingdom under uh, David and Solomon. So for most of its life, it was pretty fragmented, but he had united the kingdom and suffered greatly for it. Other people had suffered because of him as well. Um, but he decides to do a census. Well, God says, I don't want you to do a census, but he does it anyway. And so there's this curse that happens on the people. So part of his penance for the curse is he's going to build God a temple. Now, God tells him, you're not the one who gets to build the temple because you're a man of blood, of, of warfare. But he can go ahead and buy the materials and buy the land. So he's got his eye on a piece of property. Matter of fact, what he's looking at is what is today Jerusalem. When you think of the city of Jerusalem, uh, it's up the mountain or up the hill from where David's city was. So he gets ready. He's going to, this, our story takes place when he's getting ready to buy this field, okay? And just also for you to know a little bad background information, uh, Jerusalem was conquered by David, okay? The Jebusites were the people who were there, all right? So that's important when we read about this character here. That day God came to David and said to him, go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aranua, the Jebusite. Following God's instructions, David went up as the Lord had commanded when Aranua looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming towards him. By the way, what's the king's servants? It's the king's armed guard. Okay, so, so this poor guy sees the king coming up the hill with his posse, if you would, all right? Aranai went out and threw himself on the ground before the king with his face to the ground. Aranai said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, so that the, place, the plague may be averted from the people. And there Aranua said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are oxen for burnt offering, and the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the ox for the wood. All this, O king, Aranua, gives to the king. And Aranua said to the king, may the Lord your God respond favorably to you. But the king said to Aranua, No, but I will buy them from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that has cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our hearts that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter you, the living word. Here's a powerful prayer from St. Ignatius of Loyola. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, my entire will. All I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. A number of years ago, it was Stewardship Sunday at uh, the Church of Media 
And part of what we would do, and you probably have done this here before, we'd have different people talk about different aspects of the church's ministry, where the money was going, some of our hopes for what we wanted to do in mission with, you know, outreach to our community, working with our children and youth. Um, one year we built a hospital uh, in, uh, in Ghana. Another year we did a feeding program in Guatemala. So there was a lot of things we were doing. And part of what we do, we'd have an elder or, you know, a deacon or someone who was involved stand up and share. And uh, one of my friends volunteered to do this. And I, I told him, you don't have to do this. Okay. But he said, no, I, I want to do this. But uh, he was a little nervous about getting up and talking about money in front of the church. And, and uh, he was a character anyway. He, he did some acting. He was a funny guy, but he was very nervous about this. And so he started getting up. He had a pitch. He had written a script. Okay. He's an actor. He wrote a script. While he was talking, there was an elderly woman in the back of the church. It was kind of a character. I mean, she, she was edgy. We'll just say she was edgy, okay? We'll just leave it at that. And as he was talking, she yelled out. And again, it's a big church. And she yelled out from the back of the church, Why are we talking about money? Well, you know, this wasn't in the script. So my, my friend, uh, you know, starts stammering a little bit. And I said, well, we're, we're, we're talking about what the Lord has done for the church. And then she goes, she yelled again, I don't understand money. Uh, and he goes, well, I'll be happy to explain it to you, ma'am. And to which she said, well, you better hurry up because I don't have much longer to be alive at your rate. <laughs> we all laughed about that. Matter of fact, we still laugh about that. Um, now, what's kind of funny about it, because, you know, when we talk about money, it kind of creates stress, okay? Uh, in your home, what do you fight? What, what's one of the chief things over the years you fight about? Well, finances. And even in church, I mean, I, over the years, uh, <laughs> I always say it's funny. I, you, can always, you can always tell when you're getting close to the budget time by the way your elders and deacons act, because it affects people the way they talk about it. Now, I think that woman was just voicing what a lot of us feel. A lot of us are confused about what truly is a faithful approach to money, our material possessions and our giving. Um, but I think a proper understanding of stewardship actually is a way of getting control of our lives. I think we can gain both insight and freedom by learning to follow what God is about. And one of the things I think is really interesting, and that's part of what I gave you this devotional look at, is particularly in the Hebrew scriptures, it seems like God is a proportionate God. And by that I mean, God is really interested in numbers. There are numbers all over the place in the Bible. One is the term for God. Twelve is the number for the chosen people. Seven is an idea of Sabbath. We talked about that, a way of viewing time. And tenth, the tithe. The, tenth, the tithing principle... Is, is what is the principle in scriptures. And this even goes before the law is given, this idea of giving 10%. Now, again, this is not a principle that is necessarily reinstituted in the New Testament. So it's not so much about the number as about the principle. And I think what was behind the idea of the tithe was a way of ordering. Again, just like Ignatius of Loyola said, Everything belongs to God. Okay. 
Everything we have is a gift. But God has given us these gifts, right, in order to use. We need the gifts to live and to survive, right, and to thrive. He doesn't only want us to survive, he wants us to thrive. You know, the same principle about the rest, right? Six days of the week, we're allowed to go out and do whatever we need to do. But one-seventh of our time is to be sent aside to take care of ourselves and to remember that God is God and we are not. Now, one of the things I think that's always risky when it comes to talking about the tithing principle or talking about any giving principle, it's kind of self-serving, right, for those of us in this role. Now, apparently there are a lot of preachers and TV preachers that have no trouble asking for your money, okay? All right. And they promise you all kinds of things if you give them to them, okay? But giving is never about necessarily the object who you give it to, all right? Yes, we need to keep this building going. Yes, I appreciate being paid. Okay. All those things are a good thing. But giving is not necessarily a utilitarian thing. Um, we're not like the pagans who believed you had to give your offerings because the gods needed to eat. That's not what Judaism was about. And that's not what we as Christians are about. The tithing principle was a reminder to the people of Israel um, that... God had given them everything. Everything was a gift. And the tithe was a way of not only taking care of the priest, but taking care of the poor as well. Recognizing God has everything, I give this tenth of this as a reminder of that. And when the tithe is reinstated, after the people come back to the land, it's to bring them back from the worshiping of other gods. Now, again, I don't believe the New Testament reinstates the tithe. It's a much more flexible principle in the New Testament. Matter of fact, you know, when the first followers of Jesus, they gave everything they had to the church, right? They gave everything, and they lived in the community, which was beautiful and created a whole set of other problems, right? And Paul, when he's talking about the gift that he gives to the church in Jerusalem, he talks about giving... Uh, that those of you who have can give to those who have not. He says the Macedonians in their poverty gave according to their means and beyond. So I think one of the most important things about the principle of giving proportionately, and, and part of that is a way of getting control of your finances, right? In terms of uh, by budgeting, we kind of know where everything goes. Now, probably most of you by this stage of your life and your maturity kind of are on top of that, right? But still, there's a sense where, as you begin to think about what your priorities are in your life, this principle reminds us that God is the giver of all the good things you have and that God should always be a priority. Our giving reflects our priorities. Where your treasure is, Jesus said, there's your heart. It's not the other way around. Where your stuff is, that's where your heart is. Where you spend your time and your talents and your energy, that's where your heart is, right? Okay. Um, I was talking to someone recently uh, who have, their kids are all at home, and they say they don't have any time to do anything. I go, yeah, no, you do. You have a time to take them to soccer and to feed them and to clothe them, right? 
Someone one time when my kids were young, they go, Bill, what are your hobbies? I said, I have four. Ben, Adam, John, and Peter. And occasionally I sleep. All right? Yeah. <laughs> right? But that's, that's all right. Because that's, that's your priority. That was a joy. I, that was a joyful priority most of the time. Right? And the same thing is in terms of when we think about, okay, what, what am I to give? Okay? Yeah, it's not to be something done out of guilt or obligation. Okay? We talked about, I talked about this at the consistory. Part of the reason that we have all these buildings and all this renovation and all this dynamic nature of, of what the church was in the 40s and 50s and 60s was because people had come back from defeating fascism. They had survived the Depression. And they, and they felt it was their duty. These, that was a duty generation. And you know what? There's sometimes I think we could use more of that, right? Okay. But people gave to the church because it was part of their duty. It was what was expected of them. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. I, I appreciate people who have a sense of responsibility and obligation. But the heart of Christian stewardship is the joyful recognition of the abundance of God's love. And an opportunity to give back from joy and from fullness. You know, the other thing that's important about talking about money as Christians is it reminds us that spirituality is connected to the material world. Okay? We don't, being a Christian is not something out there in the ether, right? It's about loving your neighbor who you can see, right? And it's about being. Lord and steward over your things, not letting your things own you. I mean, that's probably, you know, the trouble of living in a capitalistic society uh, in a postmodern economy, okay, which is what we're in, is we don't really make stuff anymore, right? We don't, we don't do a lot of construction. We don't do a lot of industry. Our economy is a service-based economy. That means we buy stuff. And we need stuff. And we use stuff. And we buy stuff that's built only last two years, so we need to buy that stuff again. Okay. Your cell phone, they can build your cell phone to, to last for 20 years. You can build a car that can last for 20 years. Why don't they? Because they need you to buy another one, right? That's, so that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the nature of our economy, okay? Right. <laughs> One of the worst things that uh, uh, President Bush, you know, part two said, was after 9-11, go be patriotic and buy something. I go, no. <laughs> we can do better than that. We can shoot a little higher, right? We can shoot a little higher than that. Now, I understand what he was trying to say, right? Okay. But that is a reflection of where we're kind of at, right? And so part of this idea that, you know, as a Christian, it kind of matters what I do in the material world. I don't have to be owned by my stuff. I can be happy that my neighbor's yard looks better than mine. David was a man who made a lot of mistakes in his life. Okay? He made a lot of mistakes in his life. Matter of fact, if we, were, if we were going to do a sermon series on David's life, we'd have to rate it R. Okay? We'd have to wait and talk about David after the kids left. Okay? Because there's sex in a lot, there's a lot of sex and violence in David's story. Okay, it's a wonder HBO hasn't made it as a miniseries. Okay, 
And he did a lot of harm to both his people, and, and he did a lot of harm to those who he loved as well. But God had chose, chosen him to lead and to serve. And it says that he was a man after God's own heart, which means to be a person after God's own heart doesn't matter what you've done wrong in the past. Everybody who's a follower of Jesus has a tainted resume. And the most famous people in the Bible, some of the most important figures in the Bible, have a rap sheet. Have done horrible things. That's, that's, so, that's so amazing about our, our faith. It's not what you've done in the past. It's who you are in Christ. And God loved David. And he never gave up on David, in part because David never gave up on God. And so he comes to, to purchase this piece of property. And again, I think why I said during the scripture reading, well, the man's coming up the hill. He's the most powerful man in the region. He's coming up the hill with an armed guard. And our, and our poor guy, he's a Jebusite. He's the, he is a member of the people that got defeated. So the king's coming up the hill with an army. And immediately he goes up, anything you want. <laughs> That's what he's saying. He falls down. So glad you're here. Anything you want is yours. Please don't kill me. That's kind of what he's saying. But David says, I will give nothing to my Lord that does not cost me something. See, that's the other thing I think that helps us. You know, we've all heard the old expression, give till it hurts. That's not a Christian idea. Okay, don't, don't give to it. I was at a fundraising banquet, and it, it was Christian, but it got a little slick at the end. Okay? It's not how I would talk about money if I was in that position. And actually, I've been in the position the speaker was. It got a little slick. Okay. No, we don't give till it hurts. That's not a Christian idea. We give in order to reevaluate our priorities. When you stop to think what you're going to give to the church every year or give to charity or, or whatever, you stop to think what's important to me. Where is my life going? It's not about, um, it's not about sacrifice for pain. It's about giving as a reflection of your priorities. And see, that's the great thing. You don't have to feel guilty. You know, one of the things I think is sometimes feel, people feel bad, I wish I could give more to the church. And I one time someone said, I really wish I could give more to the church. I said, can you? And they go, no. I go, well, then thank you. You're doing what God's will is. Someone said, well, my income situation has changed. You have to take care of your life. That's okay. It, this isn't, we're not being graded on a curve based on everyone else. What you give is between you and God. And, and God doesn't judge you for being realistic about your life. When we lie to ourselves about our money, though, then, then we judge ourselves, right? <laughs> and it's just one other way money can control us. I mean, and you know, the, this subject... In part, the subject is, was so hard for me in so many years, partially because, you know, with four kids living on a pastor's salary and then paying, one year I was paying four tuitions at the same time. 
and um, and you know, I, and you you feel like the, the pressure that was always on you, and so the money situation, you know, waking up at night just wondering if all those checks are going to clear. That that was a that's a tough place to be. Okay, I understand that. The interesting thing was, I, part of coming out of that period of my life, I realized that I was I was reacting as a, as opposed to stopping, saying, okay, what can really be done here? And I think to me, the great news about stewardship is that it gives us an opportunity to be to be free, and and to say, all right, this is what I can do. <laughs> I was I'm, I'm helping my mom move. And I'm painfully aware that I cannot lift as much as I could 20 years ago. And that I probably need to take breaks more often than I used to. Now, I'm still working circles around my boys. All right, don't tell them that, all right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not. It's okay. <clears throat> it's okay to be realistic about your physical and, and your emotional resources, really, and your time resources. If we are giving without reflection or cost, then we are not only missing the point of giving, but we are probably looking at our lives and the world from a perspective other than God's, which means we are living by convenient fictions. All right. It should cost us something to give, right? It should. I'm not saying it's, it should be something out of guilt, but it, it, it's saying yes to one thing, is saying no to something else. You cannot have it all, all right? And thank God you can't. And stewardship helps us think about what we can and what we really want to do. There's a story in Luke's Gospel about Jesus and, and disciples are, are in the temple. And there's a big procession of somebody wealthy and influential giving a major gift. Okay, yeah, they probably get their name on a plaque somewhere. But in the corner, there's a widow giving a couple mites, which are barely pennies. And Jesus looks over there and says, "That is the person who has given the most." This person over here is giving out of their excess. But this widow gave all she had. Now, my maternal grandmother, who was poor by most standards, but was one of the most generous people I knew. She would give you the shirt off her back, or she would make you a shirt if you didn't have one. She scrimped and saved and bought us presents that were uh, some of the most ordinary things, but they were extraordinary because they were so full of love. And she always gave to her little church. She always gave. And I think part of the whole thing, it's, it's not how much you have. It's, 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 it's what you give from your heart. How much of you you give, really, right? Yeah. I've known a lot of rich people. I, I, I was in a church right out of seminary. It was, and it was a recession there, but there were 100, 100 millionaires, uh, at least 100 millionaires in the congregation. And um, some of the most miserable people I've ever known in terms of 
unhappiness. There were some amazing people. There were some really generous people. But the money had so had such a cost to their family. And the sins of the grandfathers and fathers played out in the lives of these people. But the point is that as we approach this subject of what it means to give, what it means to be stewards, it's really something that gives you an opportunity to look at your life, okay? Maybe you have a little more time to give. Maybe you can be spending a little more time praying for our church. We need more people praying for our future as we think about what God's going to do in our future. Now, maybe this is a year because your finances have changed. You can't give as much. That's okay. Find another way to give of yourself. Maybe you've never really thought about this. And it's an opportunity for you to stop and look, okay, what am I doing with my finances? And how can my finances reflect my love for God and my love for my neighbor? I think to me one of the most important things to keep in mind is that ultimately God doesn't need your money. <laughs> if you ever hear a preacher or someone say, God needs your money, no, God, God, God's okay. All right? <laughs> God doesn't have a Learjet or a condo, right? You know, on the beach. He's God, God's fine. Giving is really about what is it that you need to do for your soul? And what do your brothers and sisters, both here and those in need, need from you? That's really what giving's about. Giving's about, am I really working out the priorities of my life in the material world? I've told this story before, but, you know, I was young, radical, and I was preaching on a Sunday night. I got invited, and I was, you know, just saying radical stuff about Jesus and and uh, at one point, I said, and we pray every week, give us this day our daily bread. But none of us really have to pray for our daily bread. I was so pleased with myself. Uh, and uh, I felt so edgy and radical. And afterwards, this woman, a humble woman, came up to me. She goes, thank you for your message. Um, I just want you to know, I do pray every day for my daily bread. I just became a Christian. I have a sick child. My husband's in prison. Okay, so I went from feeling about 10 feet tall to about 10 inches. I, I was really, I, I couldn't have felt smaller. And then she smiled and she goes, and she goes, and I was working with poor kids at the time. And she goes, I know you work with the poor. And she handed me $25. And her face was beaming. And, and, and <laughs> I was taught something. First of all, I was taught that I really not, I don't know a lot about what God does in people's lives. So I need to be really careful with what I say. Secondly, this woman who literally had to pray for her daily bread, who's working a couple jobs, was free. And was free and joyful to the point where she could share. She knew her life was dependent on God. And with joy, she wanted to share that good news concretely with someone else. 
That's the goal. Right? That's where we're headed. That's what we want to be able to do. How can we be free to express joyfully what God has given us? And how can we be part of what God is doing in this world? I wish you joyful freedom and liberty as you give of God, give to God, and give to you God's people your time, your talent, and your treasure. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Let's stand together and proclaim what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed.